podcast Leadership Forum, a conversation with leaders who serve the public good. My name is Trevor Brown, and I'm privileged to serve as Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University, where we aspire to fulfill a very simple phrase that Senator John Glenn used to describe what we do, inspire citizenship and develop leadership. I also have the honor of serving as the host of this conversation series. So welcome to a thoughtful and reflective conversation about leadership. Today, I'm joined by Steve Stivers. Steve has committed himself to a lifetime of leadership and public service. He's an Ohioan, born in the village of Ripley on the southwestern border of the state, and has served the people of Ohio and the country as a career soldier, and now Major General, elected official and business leader. Earlier this year, Steve was selected to lead the Ohio Chamber of Commerce as president and CEO. Steve is a champion of free enterprise and economic competitiveness. Steve, welcome to our podcast and congratulations on your role at the Chamber, as well as your continued military service and prior elected service. Well, thanks, Dean. It's great to be on with you and I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Great. Well, before we get into the detail of your many distinguished careers, and I know it's not done yet, going all the way back to the beginning, perhaps even to the village of Ripley, what, what called you into a life of public service? Well, I think growing up in a small town, Dean, uh, you all understand that you're in something together and you support each other. And my dad served on village council in Ripley. My mom served on village council. I was an Eagle Scout. And, you know, when you go through the scouting program and become an Eagle Scout, you have to do citizenship in your community, citizenship in the state, and citizenship in the nation merit badges. And I think they... Uh, helped inspire me to see the difference you could make. I got to know our hometown state senator when I was in high school, Cooper Snyder, and helped him on his campaign. And then I served as a page in his office, and I watched the difference he made for people. And that really continued to inspire me. And, you know, I, I still remember to this day uh, in Adams County, uh, there was a family, their kids had to wade through the creek every day to go to school. And they lived on a, the edge of a township. The township on the side with the road was a more prosperous township. They were willing to pay for a swinging bridge to go across to the family's home, but state law wouldn't let them. And so Cooper Snyder had to, Senator Snyder passed a law to allow that township to build the swinging bridge so those kids didn't have to wait across a creek every morning to get to the bus. So little things like that, I watched it. I watched him make a difference in people's lives with big legislation and little legislation. And uh, that inspired me to public service. And 19 years to the day after I um, started as a page, I actually started as a state senator. So it was uh, a chance to sort of come full circle and make a difference. That was my first uh, entree into legislative service. Uh, obviously in college, I joined the National Guard because at that time it was during the Cold War and I felt like I didn't want to sit on the sidelines and um, you know, force other people to defend our country. And I joined the National Guard because I wasn't interested in being a full-time soldier during peacetime. I wanted to be called up if they needed me, but I, didn't, I wanted to have a civilian career too. So now 36 years later, I'm still in the National Guard and a major general. And um, you know, all that I think goes back to my experience growing up in a small town and my experience in in scouting 
that helped uh, get me on a path of understanding that you can help other people and that we should do a good turn daily. Well, we're going to talk about each of those different phases of your careers, but I just want to just put an underline under how important that crucible of childhood can be for, for setting a trajectory. It's just a pleasure to hear you reminisce about um, that time. Um, and, and a story as profound as the, the Swinging Bridge one uh, can have such a, a momentous effect. And, and I'm sure you think about that on a fairly regular basis. Yep, no, it's uh, absolutely, it's, uh, and I, you know, that's why I also care deeply about so many kids in our state and country that maybe, you know, don't get the kind of childhood and support they need through either their school or education or might have a single parent or today a lot of kids are being raised by grandparents through the, the drug crisis out there and other things. Uh, and so it's, uh, we need to create a community where lots of people support um, their, our kids, you know, my mother and father were divorced and my, one of my cousins, uh, Richard Zachman, uh, became our scout leader and, and was a, a great mentor to me as a kid. So it doesn't have to just be a mother and father. Uh, there are lots of influences on people's lives. Fielder Pitzer, one of my teachers who was my economics and government and, um, uh, history teacher had a profound impact on my life. Well, let's, let's pivot to, to education. You got an MBA at Ohio State University, go Bucks. Um, and, then you began, and then you began your, your working career for the Ohio company and then Bank One, which is now JP Morgan Chase. And you focused on financial services when you went to Congress and you now represent 8,000 Ohio businesses through the chamber. Let's talk a little bit about your, your new role in the, in the chamber. What, what are you focused on first and, and what are your priorities for the chamber? Well, the Chamber of Commerce is the voice of Ohio business. And um, you know, our long-term focus is to create a prosperous Ohio where every individual, all 11 million people, hopefully more, um, have a chance to live their economic dream in the place and where they, that they choose to live. So you know, right now we have a, a great economic engine in Columbus, Ohio, a pretty good economic engine in Cincinnati, Ohio, but we have some areas that are struggling. Youngstown, Toledo, Akron, Canton, um, Mansfield. So we need to make sure that uh, we support growth everywhere. And we've got this thing at the chamber we call, that I've, we're creating called the Blueprint for Ohio's Economic Future. It's a 15 year plan to make Ohio the most competitive state in the country and one of the most competitive locations in the world for business to operate. That means small business and entrepreneurs as well as big businesses. Um, and just to put in perspective where our journey needs to go, uh, CNBC just did a ranking and Ohio was uh, ranked 10th most competitive in the country, mostly because of our lower cost of doing business. On workforce, we were 38th, I believe, uh, on business regulation and business friendliness, we were 47th. So we've got some work to do, but if we can improve business friendliness and we can improve work workforce, uh, then we can actually, I think, be in the top 10 and I'd love to be number one uh, in the next five to 10 years. And I think it's a doable mission. We just have to get after it and start focusing on it. Um, so it's an exciting time to be at the chamber and 
You know, there are 318,000 employers in Ohio. 8,000 of those pay member dues to the Ohio Chamber. We're growing that, but uh, it's uh, we still only have a tiny fraction of the 318,000 Ohio businesses that pay dues to the chamber, but I see myself as a representative of all 318,000 employers in Ohio, big, small, every sector, and we wanna make them all competitive and do well. So we, we live in an era right now where we're uh, hyper aware of diversity, the differences between us, but we often don't think of the business community as a diverse body, and yet you've just described it in a way um, where you've got big, small, you've got different parts of the state, I would imagine uh, you've got different kinds of industries and, and they all need different kinds of things. How, you know, talk about the leadership challenges of representing those 8,000 diverse different businesses and, and how, you, how you sort out where to focus your energies. Well, and thank you. That's a great question, uh, Dean Brown. And, and, you know, the chamber, for example, has uh, health uh, systems, hospital systems, and pharma members, but we also have uh, healthcare insurance company members. Uh, we have uh, energy users, energy providers. There are lots of things they will disagree on, uh, but there are lots of things that they can agree on. And our job as a convener is to bring them together on the big picture issues that can make America, make America and more importantly, Ohio more competitive and have those conversations and move forward on those things. I'll, I'll stay with the healthcare example where the chamber is working to convene with both pharma and, and hospital systems, insurance companies and employers to have a conversation about healthcare transformation where we can focus on improving health outcomes and reducing cost. If we do that, our employer members will see lower absenteeism, higher productivity, longer, um, um, longer employment and, and longevity of their employees uh, and hopefully reduce cost at the same time. And the provider members will see stable cash flows uh, at a minimum with incentives for the outcomes we want, you know, better health, lower, uh, better productivity, lower absenteeism, uh, all those things. So uh, I think uh, it's a great opportunity to improve health outcomes for our employees, create more, product, more productive companies, and at the same time, hopefully reduced healthcare costs along the way. So it's, uh, there are things we can come together on, even when there are diverse communities. And while we're talking about diversity, I want to, for a minute, also talk about the Chamber's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, until the young kids in inner city Columbus and Cleveland think of that starting a business is part of their way out of their economic circumstances, then I feel like we haven't done our job. And, uh, you know, if you think about a lot of inner city kids that might aspire to be the next LeBron James, you know, making it in the NBA or the NFL is one in a thousand shot. But one out of every two businesses that is started survives and thrives. So it's, um, it is a much brighter path for them, but I think a lot of, um, you know, lower socioeconomic folks, you know, regardless of race or sex, think, oh, starting a business, that's for rich people or that's for everybody else. Uh, we want people to understand that entrepreneurism and starting a business 
is something that can they can do regardless of their economic circumstance, geographic circumstance, and we want to support that kind of entrepreneurial activity all throughout Ohio in our rural areas, in our urban areas, and in our suburban areas. So, so talk, it's inspiring to hear you, you talk through your, your process a little bit. I mean, it's, it, those are some exciting developments that are coming out of the chamber and, and ultimately, hopefully, to the benefit of Ohio and its, its residents. How, how do you, just as you reflect on your role as CEO and president, how do you bring people together? How do you get to that win-win? How do you get to that place? So I hear, I hear the mechanics of how it makes sense in the example you gave, but just as you abstract, what's your process for, for making people see, hey, there's a place where there's some commonality? Well, it starts but with the end in mind, and you have to show people and get people to buy into um, the end state of, uh, for example, on healthcare, more affordable healthcare with better health outcomes and stable cash flows to providers with, you know, incentives to providers for the behaviors that we want. Um, when everybody hears that, they get excited about it because it it is a much more collaborative approach that serves the people they all want to serve: their employees, their insured members, their patients. They all want to do those the right things to serve those people, but they're obviously different economic incentives depending on who you are. So you have to convince people that there is an in state where you can come together on and then you got to work toward it. So it's uh, you know, it's kind of like the legislative process. It can be messy, but you have to sell people on a vision and then you can get them to come together and get things done. Well, so let's let's switch to that. You, you were elected to represent Ohio's 15th congressional district for a decade. Uh, and before that, you served in the Ohio Senate. That's that's you know close to 15 years of of elected service. Over the years you served, there was a coarsening of public conversation and a, a growing mistrust of of government and legislative uh, institutions, both at the state and at the federal level. How did you deal with that and maintain trust with your constituents? Well, I think uh, communications is the best way to continue to have trust both as a military leader, you know, a public servant, and now a nonprofit executive that serves our members. Uh, the people that you're serving need to understand, uh, and I believe in servant leadership, need to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it for them. And, and that does build trust. I, I like to think, you know, I uh, won my uh, last uh, race for Congress by 27 or 29 points in a race where you know the average uh, person of my party would win it by 10 points. So I feel really good that uh, I think I built trust among Republicans, Democrats, and independents. Uh, they knew me, they trusted my uh, values and that I would do what was right for them. And in a republic, it only works if the people that elect somebody trust them to make decisions for them because that's what a republic is. So I've kind of used that same philosophy in my military, my legislative and my uh, now nonprofit uh, membership work. Uh, it's about communicating to people, helping them understand uh, what you're trying to do and what your values are and where you share values so that then uh, they trust you to make decisions for them and keeping them informed along the way of what you are doing so that there's no surprises. I think that's, that's how you build and keep trust 
in any relationship. Feel, feel free to get in the weeds a little bit here. I, I've often reflected, you know, here being at a large university and, and you know, marveling at the ability of, uh, of presidents and provosts to really build that trust over a large population, right? I mean, so some of them would say, you know, it's that interpersonal relate, you know, you, you meet somebody, et cetera, but you just can't meet everybody. You can't, um, you can't create that interpersonal bond and I got to believe the same is true in Congress um, it is. in the sense that you've got tens of thousands of people in your, your district. And then now you're representing 8,000 businesses. You can't meet everyone. So yep. how do you do that when you can't do what you and I are even doing right now, which is talking to each other virtually? How do you, how do you, well, do Dean, that? I think the key to that is um, showing people, you know, there's tools now on social media and mass communications and Gordon Gee was a master at this, where he would have a personal interaction with two or three students. And of course, it was in the lantern. And, you know, he got it on social media so that, you know, when people see him interacting with another student that they might be able to relate to, they can put themselves in that student's shoes and say, oh, this, you know, he really cares about what I think he wants to interact with us. So it's important, like when I go on the road and I'm, meeting members, you know, like you said, we have 8,000 members. Uh, I've probably only met in person of our 8,000 members, two or 300 of them so far. And, uh, but when I do go on the road, whether it's to a small business, big business, we send that information out in mass communication form so that other members that might see it can relate to it and help build trust. The same thing I did when I was uh, in Congress, we did a lot of telephone town halls we did a lot of, you know, we did some live town halls. We did a lot of personal meetings and interactions. And then we shared that on mass media, be it television or um, social media to help people understand that I was out there and listening because it's really about uh, in, in many ways and same thing as you move up in the military. You know, when I was a company commander, I could know all hundred of my soldiers. But when I became a battalion commander and I had 600 soldiers. I didn't know them all when I became a brigade commander, um, a regiment commander, and we had, uh, you know, 2,400, 2,500 folks in our ranks. There was no way to know them all. And now I'm uh, an assistant adjutant general in a, a um, military army and air that has, you know, 16,500 soldiers and airmen, and there's no way I can know them all. So as you move up, written and um, mass communication take on much more important roles. And it, you need to understand social media, you need to understand um, mass communication uh, through television and radio, you need to understand other forms, you know, mass emails and other communications that you can do to communicate with folks because you're not gonna have direct one-on-one -on -one interaction. The Army does a really good job of doing a lot of training about how communication needs to change as you move up the ranks. And I've tried to pay attention to that and, and use those lessons in my civilian and public service roles as well. So this is, this is great, I'm, I'm, and bear with me here. This is, this is kind of a, a meta question that might, might get too abstract, but I, I think it's an important one, which is just reflecting on you talking right now about your role in the military. I, I would assume that part of the allegiance of those that follow is to the role, right? To the role of whatever position you're in, adjutant, assistant general. 
And then in Congress, it's a very interpersonal, even if it's not direct contact in that it's, I'm, I'm voting for Steve Stivers, the person, right? And so it's the person and the role. And I wonder now, and I know you're only six months in, as you think about building that trust right now in the chamber, is it with Steve Stivers? Is it with CEO and president, the role? Or is it with the organization, the, the chamber? Right. And, and so the, I would imagine the communication style and the kinds of messaging might be different across those three different kinds of ways of leading and, and connecting. They are different across uh, those three roles. And the answer is uh, at the chamber, it's all of the above, because there are some people that are only at the chamber. Uh, on my first day, a friend of mine called me and said, hey, I want to join the chamber because you're there. And, uh, you know, we I talked to her and she uh has a small business, seven, seven folks in our business. And I said, well, you know, here's the dues levels. You know, we might suggest like a $2,500 dues level. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm all in. I want to do $5,000 of dues. And she wanted to do that because it was me. And she wanted yeah. to support me. There are a lot of people that are coming to do things to support the chamber because of Steve Stivers and the personal friendship that we have. But, uh, and I, I appreciate that. And I want to leverage that for the organization. But then there's a lot of folks, I need to build trust as the CEO and president of the Ohio Chamber. And, and I'm working on to make sure I do that. And then I also want to transfer as much of that as I can to the Ohio Chamber, because I'm an agent of the Chamber. And I want to make sure we actually build the Chamber, not just me, because I'm here to serve the members and I need to build the organization. So it is, I need to build uh, trust and um communication in all three of those roles, but I also want to make sure um, that I'm adding real value to the organization that, that I'm an agent of. So it's, uh, but I'm trying to leverage all three of those is the answer. And, uh, you know, in any organization, you're going to have people that are there because of you. They're going to have people that are there because of your role and what you do. And they're going to be, have people that are already there because they already buy into the entire organization. But the key thing, if you're a good leader, is to transfer as many of those as you can to the organization because you're there in a role for the organization and you need to move the benefit to the organization. And we all know people who have um, come in, and but they've never transferred the trust that people have in them to the organization. And uh, that makes temporary victories because the minute they leave, yep. all the people that were there for them leave too. So my goal is to build this in a way that people build trust in the organization and that I can transfer my personal or uh, the trust they have in me in my role ultimately to the organization because my goal is to build the organization and make it stronger. That, thanks. That, that, hearing you say that, I'm, I'm glad we, we paused and dived into that a little bit. That, that is a really important insight for, for leaders as they go through the journey of their career. And along those lines, you served now for 30 years in the Ohio National Guard, um, and you hold the rank of Major General, and you've received the Bronze Star for your, your leadership throughout your, your deployment. And I had the pleasure of, of watching, just as an aside, I had the pleasure of watching you receive that most recent um, uh, award and watching your children um, uh, fix various things on your your shoulders and getting you ready to um, look smart and snappy. It was it was fun to watch how how your family was very much part of that. Um, 
and I'm sure they've been a constant throughout your, your roles. But I, I want you to talk about um, your role from your change from role, from serving as a soldier to now being in, in you know, almost the apex, uh, a general. And tell us about that, that journey. What's changed in your leadership style as you've shifted those roles? And you can limit this to the, to the military. And then what's stayed the same? What's, what's been constant and what's changed? Well, thanks. And I think what's been constant, in my opinion, is my values and um, the things that I'm focused on. But your style has to change as you move up and through the roles. I already talked about how communication style goes from one-to-one -one, uh, when you start and you are, have a more direct supervision role uh, in any organization, but in the military. Uh, but then it becomes one-to-many uh, as you move up. And uh, the higher you go in any organization, that happens. Um, and you, but you have to change your style um, in based on the role you're in as well and who your audience is. Because the whole point of leadership is influence. If you can't influence the people that you're working with, then you aren't really leading. John Boehner used to say, uh, if, you know, if you're trying to lead a parade and nobody follows you, you're just a man on a walk. So it's, uh, <laughs> you've got to actually get people to follow you. And so you have to understand the people you're leading and what will influence them. And frankly, what influences soldiers is a little different than what might influence folks um, that are civilians. And they're looking for a little bit more, um, you know, direct leadership and understanding, you know, what they're going to do and what they, the end state is. They really want to know what am I doing? Why am I doing it? So they can make important decisions along any mission you assign them. So um, while my leadership style has definitely changed, uh, I think my values have stayed the same. And I think that's uh, a really important key. Uh, you don't have to change who you are. And when I say change leadership style, it doesn't really mean you're changing who you are at all. You're changing the way you're interacting with your, in this case, soldiers or employees or followers because you need to influence them. And uh, so I, you know, clearly my leadership style has, has morphed over the years because, you know, frankly, dealing with millennials is way different than, you know, dealing with folks um, who are Gen X or even baby boomers when I started, you know, my career in the military. So since we're talking about the military, I do want to just dive in a little bit more. What, what makes service in the military unique? Um, and then the flip, what, what are those important skills that are cultivated in the military that are transferable to other contexts? And then finally, what, what do you tell those in the Ohio Chamber, the members, about the value of, of hiring veterans? That's, those are really great and important questions. And what makes military service different than any other career or job? And, and there are a few other you know, first responders. But you know, when you write a military contract and you sign up and, and uh, uh, join the military, you're essentially signing in blood and you're saying, I'll put my life on the line. Um, and you know, you pay with your time, but you also sometimes can pay with your life in military service. And that is a very different kind of service than almost anything else you do in public service and definitely in private life. Um, the most transferable skills that veterans have are two things. 
One is teamwork and the other is they understand mission accomplishment and getting things done. And uh, you really can't, uh, there are other organizations can, that can instill those lessons in someone, but nothing does it like having your life on the line potentially. And so uh, I think veterans are the best team players you'll ever find. Uh, they understand getting things done and mission accomplishment better than anybody else I've ever met. That's why when I uh, talk to our members about hiring veterans, I push it as hard as I can. And we're making a new effort uh, in 2022 uh, to encourage more chamber companies to hire veterans. We're gonna be engaging with some partners in that effort. Uh, it's still a, an early effort, but I'm super excited about it because we have uh, you know, thousands and thousands of veterans in Ohio. Ohio has the uh, sixth most number of veterans anywhere in the country. Uh, and uh, we need to encourage more veterans to come back to Ohio when they complete their military service. I think a lot of them um, you know, go through lots of places and then don't always come back home to Ohio, but uh, they're amazing, amazing asset to our economy if we can get them to come back, back again because they understand teamwork and they understand mission accomplishment. So the chamber is gonna be getting involved in some uh, veteran hiring efforts uh, in the near future. Excellent, excellent. Well, that is something uh, we, we are very committed to here at the Glenn College and at Ohio State University. Uh, I know Ohio State's been a uh, great uh, destination for veterans to come get their higher education, and they're committed to serving veterans, and I really appreciate that commitment as a veteran myself. So thanks to the, not just the Glenn School, but all of Ohio State yep. for that commitment. Yep, no, it is, it is in, the, in, the, in the water here. Um, so let's, let's pull this conversation to a close, and, and you've shared so many great pieces of wisdom, but as you look back across the various roles you've played, soldier, general, congressman, and now president and CEO, what, what are the one or two primary leadership lessons that you've learned that really stuck out to you that perhaps you, you didn't learn in the Eagle Scouts? Uh, you know, now as you've, you've grown in your, your roles, what are, what are some additional pieces of wisdom you'd offer? Well, my number one lesson to anybody is don't be afraid of failure. Failure is a step to success. And uh, I think there's so many young folks. And when I was young, you know, fear of failure probably drove me more than anything. Uh, and uh, that's okay. Whatever motivates you, motivates you. But uh, failure is an important step to success. And, you know, we're not going to succeed at everything we do, and that's okay. And when you're young, uh, trying new things and failing helps you know what you might not want to do. But it might, if you're really committed to doing something, uh, it can show you how not to try to do it. So it's, uh, you can learn very important lessons from failure. Uh, I think that's my number one lesson is failure is uh, something you shouldn't be scared of. Number two, uh, success uh, is all a function of hard work and perseverance. Again, it goes back to you're not going to succeed at everything you do but stay at it. And if you really want to do it, you can make it happen. Those are really important leadership lessons that I think, you know, some people when they fail, give up immediately. Well, if you really want it, don't give up. You know, when I first ran for Congress, I lost. Mm -hmm. And um, I lost by 2,134 votes. And I will never forget that. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I ran again two years later and, and won by um, over 15,000 votes. So it uh, was a massive shift. 
um, that, um, you know, and it was the same person I ran against. It was a different year, different environment, but uh, it was, I learned a lot of lessons from that failure and applied them to the, the next race. And then I won. So don't be afraid of failure, work hard and persevere. And you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish. Uh, the other lesson that I've learned through all my uh, trials and tribulations is uh, don't hog the credit when you're willing to share the credit. It's amazing the kind of things you can get done. Well, Steve, thanks for talking with me today. And, and most importantly, thanks for your service to the state of Ohio and the, the nation. I, I just want to offer my humble appreciation for, I know, the numerous sacrifices you've had to make to serve on all of our behalf. So thank you. Well, thanks, Dean. And it's been my honor. And, and as I just said, you know, I, I want I think it's really important to note that, you know, when I was a state senator and a congressman and as a general, there's a lot of people that are behind those successes. It's certainly not just me. You know, there are um, great soldiers and airmen that help me every day in the military. I had amazing staff at the, uh, at the Congress and in the State Senate and now at the Chamber. So uh, in the words of Woody Hayes, you win through people. And so you got, always got to remember that too. And when you help your folks that supported you be successful and, and uh, get to their dreams, it helps you achieve yours.